people. We're going to consider that, all right? So I want to draw attention to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse uh, 13, and we're going to read just through uh, verse 21. So let's draw our attention to uh, the word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you." who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, I'm not going to take a look at the overhead right now because I don't know if you can see verses 13 and 21 at the same time, but if you have a Bible with you or a device, you take a look at that, you notice how Peter begins on a note of hope. I'll explain that for just a moment, but he begins by saying, therefore, preparing your minds for action be sober-minded, setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he ends this section, also in verse 21, where he says that your faith and your hope are in God. So Peter is, is offering encouragement to the readers of his day. And if you were, if you've been here over the last few weeks as we've been going through this series, and especially if you were here last week, I don't know if you're going to remember this, but remember that, that I said that the, the theme of the book of 1 Peter as a whole is that as Christians, we are called to be in this world, live in this world, work in this world, witness in this world. We are to actually be for the world, for the blessing of the nations, as Psalm 67 puts it, but at the same time, we have to be careful that we don't get burned by the world so that we're all also at the same time to be in what we call an antithetical people, a distinguished people, people who are not ultimately of the world. And when you take a look at the Bible, when you take a look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, you will, you will see that, that Jesus says, if you are, are going to make a commitment to not ultimately being of the world, um, in a sense, he says, you're going to take it on the chin for that. There's, there's going to be repercussions. As Jesus says in John 15, he says, if the world hated me, understand, if you live a life for me, the world's going to hate you. It just comes with the territory. And so last week, we looked at the fact that Peter spelled out the various persecutions and trials that the Christians of his day were experiencing because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. And he encourages them by saying, in the midst of these persecutions, as a people not being of the world, keep your eye on the reward. Keep your eye on the future, all right? Now what he's doing is he's offering them encouragement again, and he's saying, as you are Christians who are not ultimately of the world, I want to give you hope. Again, keep your eyes on the coming revelation of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, the second time. Keep your eyes fixed on that. And in the meantime, 
don't give up on being a holy people. Even though it costs you dearly, do not give up on being a holy people. And so the thing is, I want to I focus with you this afternoon on just three verses, and that's verses 14, 15, and 16, where again we read, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I'll explain that in just a minute, what that means. But as he who has called you is, notice that word, holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So notice how many times that word holy is mentioned there. Now, this is not a catechetical series. Um, we're going to take the catechism portion of our second service. We'll, we'll get back to that next week. But uh, here's a catechetical question for you to consider. If someone were to ask you, what does it actually mean when the Bible says you are to be holy? What, what's the thing that comes to mind? And I think for a lot of us, that means that we are to be a, pure, a morally pure people, something along that line. But when you, when you look at the Bible and the way the Bible uses holiness, holiness really carries with it two ideas, closely aligned with a word that's called consecrated or consecration. To be a holy or consecrated people means that we are called to be, above all, dedicated to God, dedicated to Christ as disciples of Christ, and as we are ultimately dedicated to Christ, as he is ultimately preeminent in our lives, that naturally is going to make us different from the world. It's going to distinguish us from the world. So holiness carries with it dedication to God, but also differentiation, uh, being distinguished from the world. And uh, yeah, that, that, is, that is not an easy thing. Is it? In fact, if, if you're going to be if you're going to be a holy people, and this this is kind of sometimes a hard sell to kids, because well, as adults we want to belong, but kids especially they want to belong, and they don't like to feel different. So if you're going to be a holy pe people or a holy person, it's going to be and maybe you and I think I mentioned this last time. If you've ever uh, been in a classroom, you felt like the odd person out. That's what you're going to feel like as a Christian in the world. Just the odd person. It comes with the territory. And it's hard to sometimes sell it to kids, but kids, that's what we're called. That's what we're called. You should never be ashamed of that. It's okay to be different. Okay? And it's, but it's difficult. It's difficult to be holy because it's like, you, you, it's like, it's like uh, the, the salmon here that, that, that are swimming against the stream, right? Because that stream, the volume of that water is large and the current is very strong. But nonetheless, that's what Peter calls us to. Look at verse 14 again, as obedient children. And, and bear in mind, bear in mind when he writes this, he's writing to relatively new Christians who have come out of unbelief or have come out of Judaistic background. As obedient children, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, now that you belong to Jesus, now that you're holy people, and now that you're converted, you know, don't... Don't go back to your, to your former days, what he calls the days of your former ignorance. In other words, when you were ignorant of who Jesus was and the way, the way to God. Don't go back. Don't be conformed to those former passions. Now, in, in that, just in that verse, in verse 12, I want to bring out three things um, from the standpoint of the original language that I think 
that I think are rather instru uh, instructive for us. First of all, when Peter says, do not be conformed to the passions of your ignorance, that word conform, do not be conformed, is, is, is a verb. Okay? It's an action word that they are to fulfill in their lives. And that word conform, first of all, comes grammatically in what we call the imperative mood. And what that really means is this. And I, I know sometimes I get technical, but I try to explain it simply. And I think these things are rather interesting to us and very instructive. Okay, So do not be conformed comes to the imperative mood. What that means is this, this does not, Peter, when he speaks this to the people or, and he writes this to the people, he's not, he, he's not giving them a suggestion. He's not saying this is just an option. It's a command. You cannot, if you're going to be a Christian, you cannot be conformed to the, to the desires of the passions of your former ignorance. So first of all, it comes in the imperative mood. It comes as a command. Secondly, it comes in the present continuous tense. What that means is that Peter says, this is going to be, this has got to be an ongoing uh, commitment in your life. And it's going to be an ongoing struggle because being a holy people and being different from the world is not an easy thing. But you've got to keep at it. You've got to keep at it. So first of all, it's command. Presently, it's, it's something that we need to do on a continual basis. And then the third thing that he brings out here is that it comes in what we call the passive voice. And the implication of that is this. He's saying these things that you belong to in your past before you were a Christian, the calling that you have is not to just kind of passively slip, slide back into those things but you're to actively pursue a holy lifestyle. Because you know, even, even as, as, as a Christian, you know that you've got certain weak things in your life, and it's very easy that if you're not self-consciously fighting for holiness, you know what happens, right? You just kind of you slip slide back. It's not like you say, oh, yeah, I remember those weak things that I did, I, I, I don't like them, but yet in a sense... In a sense, I kind of do, and so I'm going to actively choose to go back to those things. Typically, that doesn't happen. What we do is we kind of, we get weak. We don't take care of the spiritual disciplines that God has given us to grow us in holiness. We resist the spirit. You put all those things together, and you slip slide back into your old ways. Peter says, that's not to be you. Holiness, my friends, holiness is the fight of our lives. The fight of our lives. What are we supposed to fight against? What are we supposed to not be conformed to? What's the word he uses here? It's the word passions. Passions. Uh, one other technical point. The word, the word passions is uh, it's a word that is, um, the, the, the Greek word is epithemia. And elsewhere in the Bible, it's translated sometimes as desires, oftentimes points to strong desires or passions. And you know, when you look at the Bible, it's interesting that that word epithemia can be viewed positively or negatively, you know? So a lot of times, I think when you read the word passions, and by the way, Peter uses that elsewhere in a couple of occasions. I'm not going to cite them now, but he uses a couple of occasions in the book. And the word passions is not viewed in a positive way, but a negative way. Now, in a positive way, we could say, you know what, as Christians, we're called to be passionate, right? Elsewhere, the Bible says we're called to be a zealous people. Zealous or passionate for Christ, uh, passionate for the church, 
passionate for holiness as spouses, right? Husbands, we should be passionate about our wives and vice versa. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're to be passionate for good things and right things, right? Not a reserve, not a passive people, but a passionate people. But um, that word epithemia sometimes is used in a negative sense, and Peter's using that here, where the word epithemia in this context is pointed to not good desire, holy desire, but unholy desire misdirected desire, perverted desire, the kind of desires that take our eyes off of Jesus and cause us to slip, slide back into the old ways. In contrast, our text says, be holy. Be holy as God is holy. And, you know, when it, when it says that, when, when Peter lays out in verses 12 through 14, um, the call to holiness. He's not introducing anything new. This is not, this is not something innovative where people go like, oh, you know, I've, I've never heard that before. Let me demonstrate that to you. Take a look. If you put those passages up there through other passages. All right, take a look at Leviticus 11, verse 44. Just stop there for just a moment. Now, I want you to compare those words with um, if you've got, you got your Bibles here, notice what he says in verse 16. He says, it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. Where is he getting that? Well, from here, Leviticus 11.44, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy for I am holy. That's what the Lord is saying to his people. So, so Peter, what he's doing is it's like, okay, and this is what New Testament writers oftentimes do, right? Remember we looked at the ancient words, right? Ancient words, which is the gospel, which is the good news of the scriptures and the old saints. So that's what Peter's doing. He's saying to his readers, listen, I'm taking you here. I'm calling you to holiness. And this is rooted in ancient words all the way back in the book of Leviticus. How about the next one? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 7, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. God has not called us to impurity, but holiness. Theologically, sanctification talks about progressive holiness in our lives. There's what we call, theologians call definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. Definitive sanctification speaks to the holy state that we have as people who are believers in Jesus Christ. We are, we are set apart to the Lord. But as people are fundamentally set apart to the Lord, there's the call to grow in that holiness. And that's what progressive sanctification means. So next time you read in your Bibles that word sanctification, same word that you could, interchangeable word for that is also holiness. Go to the next one if you would. Strive for peace with everyone, and there's that word again, and for the holiness which without no one will see the Lord. If we're not a holy people, if we're not truly a set-apart-to-the-Lord set type of people, don't think that you have an easy access into glory. Holiness is absolutely necessary to see the Lord one day. Okay, um, one final one for now. Ephesians 1, verse 4. This is Ephesians 1, if you know your Bibles, is that, that incredible passage on uh, predestination. So, look what it says. He chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world, from all eternity. Why? 
so that we should be a holy and a blameless people before him. These are just, just a sampling. We're to be holy, 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 right? Now, ultimately, when it comes to holiness, you and I are called to look to whom? To Jesus. So in the book of Hebrews, it says, for it is fitting that we have such a high priest, holy, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. So when we look at Jesus, we need to not only look at what he did on the cross, but we need to look at his life and a kind of godly, holy life. And that's why the Bible says, fundamentally, most of all, as God's people, we are to be imitators of a holy Savior, imitators of Christ himself. Now, we're called to be holy, but why is that? Why be holy? And you say, well, I mean, come on, listen to yourself. We're to be holy because God is holy. Okay. But here's some other reasons why to be holy. We are to be holy because holiness, differentness, is the way actually to freedom, not enslavement. When people hear this kind of thing, they think, oh, to be a holy people means, well, that's demanding. That requires self-conscious effort. And that requires, right, ultimately that you be committed to Jesus Christ. The Bible calls us slaves of Christ. How can that be free? And you find all these kind of ironies in the Bible where basically to be a slave of Christ actually means ironically to be the most free people in the world. Free from bondage, free from enslavement, from the things of this world that bring us down. Holiness is important so that we might be a free people, not an enslaved people. To be holy is important, not only so that we be a free people, but so that we be a living people. Holiness is the way of life, not of death. And finally this, holiness is the way to goodness and to beauty was differentiated so much from the darkness and the ugliness of the world. Why would it be holy? So that ultimately we can be pleasing to the God who chose us in Christ and who redeemed us through his blood. And also for this reason, in light of the book as a whole, we are to be a holy people so that we, in the end, may be attractive. They say, attractive to whom? Attractive to a people who live without God and who live without hope, hope in the world, right? Isn't that what Peter says elsewhere? Do you ever notice that? Go, go to the next passage, if you would. If you go to the next chapter, this is what he writes. Now, I want you to notice this, because he speaks often, and he uses this word, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that is, the nations, honorable. Now, I want to make a, 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 an important point here. It's a really simple point. But we have to understand that holiness is more than just a state of being. Holiness is a way of life. Holiness is a way of life. That's why in our, our text tonight, Peter says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your character. He didn't say that. He says in your conduct. 
Holiness is not just a state of being, but it's a way of life. He says that again. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may actually see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, in, in, in some ways, if we're going to be a holy people, if we as members of Pathway are going to be holy people, um, that's going to be off-putting to some people in the world. It is. They're going to think you're weird. They, they're going to think you're arrogant. They're going to think you're better than they are, and all of this kind of stuff. And it's, it's, and it's, it's also going to provide, in some cases, a bit of insecurity where they just think, you know what, I, I, can, I can never be that way. Um, I, I will mention her, I'm sure, at some point um, in the future, but it, it reminds me of a, a woman named Patsy Murphy in my first pastorate in Toronto. I got to know her in the neighborhood and started having Bible studies with her and stuff. And, uh, oh man, she had a foul mouth. Now, having been in the military, I've heard every one of those words. But, man, the way she could string some of those together. And she knew as a pastor, and she would just continue to talk that way because it was so much a part of her. And then I, I remember just, just working with her, and as we were studying the Bible together and we were praying, and her husband Bud would, would join. They weren't married. They were living together, and she's probably in her 40s at that point. But anyway, we start talking, and, and I just noticed as, as, as the words started to impact her, her unholy mouth started to change. I mean, I didn't hear her swear so much. And at one point, I said to her, you know, Patsy and Bud, you know, why, why, don't you, why don't you come to church sometime? They were literally like, oh, I don't know, 400 feet from the church building. I said, you should come to church. And you know what she said? She said, oh, no. I said, I, we, we could never go there. And I said, well, how come? She says, that's where the holy people are. <laughs> and I was like, oh, if you only knew right? We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. But, you know, eventually, um, after I left that church, he did come. And, and I, I heard from the people there that, yes, yeah, she's, she's coming somewhat regularly now. So I guess you got over that. But the thing is, is that sometimes holiness can be off-putting, but there are other times where holiness can be extremely attractive to people on the outside, because all they see is, is uh, depravity, in their own life or in the lives of the people around them. All they see is ugliness and darkness. And it's like they just sense this is not, this is not good. So sometimes to see a holy family or holy individual or holy relationships, it's, just, it's like, wow. Peter notes that. Peter's probably drawing upon the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5 in his Sermon on the Mount, if you put that next. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and vow never to come to church? No. And glorify your Father in heaven. Your holiness, my holiness, has, has the real potential to make an impact in people's lives. Before we start drawing to a, a brief conclusion, I want to cite Two individuals, a couple of theologians I want to consider at this point. Tim Keller, we must take pains to make our churches into contrast communities, holy communities, different communities, countercultures that show society what human life looks like free of the idols of race, wealth, sex, power, and individual autonomy. When we live out our lives as a holy people, 
that can have a profound effect because people from the outside come in who see uh, just the, the idolatrous devotion to sex and material wealth and, and power and individual autonomy. Autonomy refers to just self-rule. That's, that's, that's the soup that they're swimming in. And when they see something different, it's noticeable. And for many of them, it can be something very beautiful. Go to the final, the next one. Rod Dreher, he wrote the book, The Benedict Option. The first Christians gained converts not because their arguments were better than those of the pagans, but because people saw in them and their communities something different, something good and beautiful, and they wanted it, and this led them to the truth. When you're a holy people, when we are a holy people, that is not something that's ugly, but it's beautiful. It's not something that is evil, but it's good. And that, in turn, leads individuals to want to start asking questions about the truth and to discover what the truth of the Christian faith is all about. So, so much could be said, but I, I want to I uh, leave you with this. Again, uh, being, being a holy people, man, that is so, uh, so hard. And as you get older, it's just you start, you start becoming weary because, man, you've been fighting the faith for a long time. But I want to leave you with this encouragement. Um, when, when, the Lord, when the Lord saves someone through the blood of Jesus Christ, he never lets go. In fact, quite the opposite. It's the grip of his hand that takes hold of them, and he basically says to them, he says to us, you know what, I'm not done with you yet. My presence and my power go with you. So Jesus said that to his disciples. He said, I'm going to be ascending into heaven. But he went on to say to them that I will not leave you as orphans. He said, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Jesus said, my, not only my presence, but my power goes with you. As Jesus said at one point to the apostles Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. And may our response as God's people be the response of the Apostle Paul who said, when I am weak, Lord, you are strong. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So let us collectively pursue holiness together as a church for the glory of the Lord, for our blessing, but also as a way of attracting those who are without God and without hope in the world. Let's pray together. Let's ask for that. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, Lord, you know, many of us want to be a holy people. And, and we know that we, we need to pursue holiness because as the Bible says, you know, without that, we're not going to see you one day. And so, Father, we pray that that pursuit of holiness would, would never be just, a, just kind of a just a mere command or a legalistic obligation on our part. But it would, be, it would be something that we pursue with joy, knowing, oh God, that, that it ultimately brings freedom, not bondage, life, not death, goodness and beauty, not ugliness, the kind of ugliness that we see in the world. So Lord, grant that to us, we pray. Um, you promise that your power and your presence will go with us. Well, we pray for that, Lord. 
And we pray, oh Lord, that you would help us to um, fight the good fight of faith, we ask. And we rest upon your provision, oh Lord. We're asking for that now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.